Hey awesome nerds and welcome to another episode of D&D and TV, the weekly podcast where we rewatch and recap television shows you really enjoy and talk about how the themes, concept and characters could be used in different role-playing games. I am your host Jeremy and joining me, wielding a massive hammer that's probably bigger than he is, it's my co-host Afif. Hello, Jeremy has very large fists. That's right, I do, I do. There's um... And therefore, wink wink mining. <laughs> wow. Kalen's I mean, there's, there's got to be a better a design <laughs> than just than just bigger hands. Like, no, they're great. It's basically like, well, have a think about what we actually have in the real world. What is a backhoe? What is a bulldozer than just a really big hand? Well, not really. <laughs> I mean, we could design them. To they're look kind of like better really than everything. Should just be a hand. Like instead of a hammer, yeah. it should just be a hand on the end of a long stick. Like, yeah. Just like a fist, I think, yeah. I think it makes sense that they're massive hands because it's about um, accessibility of use. It's about being able to operate them. Like, you just put them on as gloves and you operate them like you're using your own hands. You don't have to have levers. You don't have to have, like, okay, 40 but what things. are they... They said it's for mining. So are you punching yeah. rocks? Like... Yeah. That's, that can't be more efficient than, like, a pickaxe or a jackhammer, like... Well, you punch the rock and then it's all loose and then you just like scoop it all out and put it in a in a bucket. Okay. We need to we need to call in an expert, I think. Can we get a professional rock puncher? On the okay, podcast? the other thing is these were designed by Jace. And Jace well, his family made hammers. Like Well no, these I are an really existing ex- thing. Like because Vanda oh has God. the old Vanda has like the old design, remember? I thought they were just like massive gloves that she's like, oh yeah, well I knew someone who had these. Like, no, you didn't. They're just fucking gloves. <laughs> no, this is an established thing, apparently. It's what it is is oh it's my backwards God. justification of yes in the game. Really yes. Yeah. That's what it really is. And trying to I guess mining's the best thing they came up with. They couldn't have said like, oh, it's for the professional arm wrestling circuit. Yeah, it's for real steel. It's the um the the Hugh Jackman film, where instead of fighting with robots, you just fight with a giant glove. <laughs> over the top. Oh. There we go. It's over the top. It's Sylvester Stallone. It's the new version of it. Uh, we are talking about Arcane Season 1, Episode 8, Oil and Water, in which the disowned heir Mel and her visiting mother trade combat tactics while Caitlin and Vi forge an unlikely alliance. Jinx undergoes a startling change. I don't think it was that startling, I'll be honest. I think no. everyone I think everyone saw that coming from a mile away. Is that because that's what she looks like in the game? Uh well she doesn't have her pink eyes until she gets pink eye. Yeah. Pink eye. Yeah. Yeah. That was funny. That's exactly what I thought when I saw it at the end of the episode. Like, oh no, she got pink eye. Look out, Caitlin. She's completing her anime arc, just getting more coloured yeah. body parts. <laughs> Next, she's gonna. She hasn't done the Sailor Moon transformation yet, which I'm disappointed for. Um, That's true. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I. Speaking of of D and D and RPGs, I really liked the sequence of them basically patching Jinx back up and having to try to bring her back from the dead. Because to me, that's what a ritual to bring someone back from the dead should be like. Like it should be that gothic horror Frankenstein sort of feel where you're yeah, it, it's like an extended, magic. like an extended skill check sort of yeah, yeah. And 
I always think there should be a cost as well. Maybe that's just like my absolutely gothic heritage, where it's not just oh yeah, you paid three hundred gold in diamonds and now you've got a walking talking um, friend back. But no, I want them to have to go to like some sort of evil magic doer and just go yes i will give you my first we my first child to bring back my my brother whatever it is yeah i think a revival magic and this is definitely just like a preference thing but i think revival magic yeah. is way too accessible in D D. um yeah. but also it's nice having it there so i think the the best middle ground in my opinion is having it with a cost yeah i think that's yeah. the best way to do it just personally because I think one of the things that players always forget is if they can do it, the enemies can do it too. And if you come across like a really evil villain that you took forever to kill, and then one of his minions like, "Cool, I cast Revivify." It's like, look, he's back. Have fun I mean, with this that. This is the problem. This is like more of a, a bigger design problem, I think, where mm. it's you can't. Is it a difference between what's balanced? and what's fair and what's fun i guess you know yeah and like players will love all this like broken stuff and if you if you considered like revivify to be a really powerful and you know spell um yeah even though it's fair to give it to your bad guys it won't feel fun for your players i guess um because i was players are that whiny crybabies yeah this is true this is true as as professional game masters well well aware that uh players are great great Crying wine babies. I'm going to go with crying wine babies rather than yeah. what you said. Wine, wine babies. <laughs> wine babies. They're yeah, babies like, who drink wine. Yeah, like wine moms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're the babies of the wine moms. Um, yep. No, I think actually they are uh, whiny crybabies, but the idea of an like a, a villain's minions doing a ritual to raise them back from the dead that's iconic that's in so much fiction and that is an entire quest for a party to have to try to stop this ritual and like you can have that massive fight at the end where you've managed to get them down to the lair as the ritual's going ahead and maybe they the villain comes back for a moment and you're just able to hold them off before they're able to come through the portal kind of thing and like that's to me that's what it should be for heroes as well but they just have more time to do it. Like they don't have anyone trying to stop them. Yeah. So you wouldn't and do it as like, they just cast Revivify and snap their fingers. And I think Revivify is a little bit different. Revivify to me is a little bit more like the adrenaline shot in Pulp Fiction. Okay. Yeah, sure. Because chances like you just stab them in the chest with adrenaline, gets them going, they're back up, they're going to do this. And then, you know, in 20 minutes or so, so when somebody start to calm down, someone casts heal, cure wounds on them. It's like, okay, cool, we've got you now, let's stabilize you and just like make sure you're not actually going to die again. Yeah, okay. I mean, I dig that, yeah. No. I generally play like that whole death concept a little bit different as well, that you can... You can die for a moment or two. Like, this is something that happens in the real world. People have been brought back from being clinically dead. Like, that's a thing that happens. So that's what Revivify should be. But it's like yep. bringing them back from, like, fully dead. That's that's dark sure. magics, yo. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, that's also a really good way, if you're ever worried about, like, the balance of your games or giving your players certain things and stuff, or, as like, rulings as well about certain rules... 
um yeah. you always just say okay well the bad guys can do it as well you know yeah like oh, like oh you want like flanking happens. rules like okay well, all the bad guys there's gonna be more bad guys than you always so they're always gonna have flanking always yeah yeah see i just refuse i love it when a player comes to my table and goes oh yeah and i flank and i cool flanking's an optional rule i don't use it because that defeats the point <laughs> of the help action Ma- pack tactics matthew mercer does it yeah, well, you know what? No, you know what? I'm not going to badmouth Matthew Mercer on this podcast because no. I um, I like my job. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's indeed like the flanking stuff specifically. There's just like too many. It's because advantage and disadvantage doesn't stack basically, and there's too many yeah. you know ways of getting yeah yeah too way. It's too diff- too easy for a rogue to just go cool. I'm just going to ship fucking everyone because I'm flanking. So yeah, yeah. anyway, <sighs> but. Have you had players die and been brought back, or do you just do you generally find that players once they're dead are, or once their characters are dead, uh, cool? I'm just going to start a new character. Uh, I've had both, yeah, but yeah. I did have one a character die and they had to go on a whole quest to bring him back. It wasn't just a because their body had gone, so they didn't have a body. Was this because the player was out of out of the campaign for a week or few? Uh no, they just. They did. I can't remember if I've told you about this or if I've talked about it on the podcast. Um, but they had a boss fight that went very poorly. But then they had a magical item that let them go back in time one hour. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. And uh, essentially, the, the player who used the item with their character, they still had lost their. They were still missing hit points and spell slots and things like that. But everyone else got reset to what it was an hour earlier. So they had a second bite at the apple for the boss fight, and then it went even more poorly the second time around. Oh so. no! But they knew what was going to happen. Well, it didn't go more poorly, but it did didn't go as well as they wanted it to. And um, <laughs> the first time was a TPK, I guess, and the second time only one player died. So I guess it was it was better, but it wasn't yeah, as good better. as they. Yeah. Did they defeat him? Was the important thing. Yeah, and then one of the players got vaporized, though the one who died. Um, so that's oh, go. that's fine. Yeah, it had to be a whole quest to bring him back. But that was good, yeah. you know, that was fun. Yeah, that is fun. See, I find that they are fun. I've had, um, in one situation, a character got eaten by a dragon, like in the middle of combat. And almost immediately, the warlock player said, well, I want to talk to my patron and get them brought back. I was like, I mean, technically your patron can do that, but what's in it for them? Yeah, that's a. I feel like that's a common warlock thing, where they yeah. just always want to... <laughs> just ask their patron for as many favors as they can like i tend to allow them to as well but the patron's always like yeah you just got to do this thing for me and it's usually something very minor like basically the patron then said well cool uh you got to go to this place and just find a box and press a button on it and then that's it that's all you got to do and the box was basically a portal gun which was opening a portal to the fire realm um so that the the patron could end up coming through fully which wasn't okay. good for the campaign w- world. But to them, it was just like, yeah, you got to go press a bo- button on a box. Oh, I mean, sure, yeah. Sounds like a good deal. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's all I'm going to do. Great. And they did that. And then, like, a good three months later, they're like, yeah. so this guy that's coming to destroy the world, is that my patron? Yeah. Yeah, he is. <laughs> and you, said, you gave him the beacon to come here. I feel like it depends on the patron... But oftentimes, if I just, like, can't be bothered dealing with it, I'll just tell people, like, okay, this is, like, you work for a big company, 
and the patron is like the CEO of the company. And it's like, maybe like technically, you know, he signs your paychecks, but he's not going to like listen to some random schmuck yeah, and just, you know, listen to their requests and stuff like that. You need to get onto Warlock patrons. I really want to do a Warlock patron that is basically Cthulhu or like a sleeping god. And the um, the warlocks have just kind of siphoned off power and they don't really know how they're doing it. They may think they're talking to the creature and like getting the power, but it's just like the voices inside their head. And it's like, well, if we push ourselves a little bit harder and like cut our hand off, then we'll have all this power and be able to do that cool thing. It's like, sure, that guy's not even talking to you. He's asleep. He's like not actually here. Doesn't even know you oh, exist. It's awkward, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but well done. Well done. You got the thing you wanted. I guess that that's fine. All right. Who who is a warlock patron in Arcane? Who would be the closest? Ooh. Um I, who's the I wanna say this doctor guy that um everyone keeps going. Oh to. yeah, yeah. Singed. Singed, yeah. Is that his name? Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. He hasn't been named in the show. No one's actually said it said his name. They've just kind of yeah. gone to him. Like and given that in one of the f- the first episode, no, the second episode, we had like, oh, what's my name? I'm Victor. And like this guy singed no fucking name. He's just It's actually kind of interesting. Like, obviously he's still he was in this episode and he had interactions with Silco. But at the start yeah. they were like very much working closely together. And it's kind of interesting yeah. that he just kind of took a back seat yeah well i think it makes sense that he took a back seat because he was very much involved in the creation of shimmer or like yeah. the, the production of shimmer and now that's in production it's like well he doesn't really need to be around all the he time he doesn't have anything to do yeah yeah he's like cool i'm well he's he was just a contractor like yeah 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 and, and shimmer it seems like shimmer's just a magic drug just does everything you fucking want yeah <laughs> pretty much oh. yeah I don't. Well, actually, since we brought up Silco. All right. What I, about. I like okay. This... Mm. We were talking about Warlock patrons. What about. I'm, yeah, I'm bringing it back Warlock to the patrons. episode. Okay. Um, I was going to. What about okay. Mummy Madada? Big Mummy Madada. Mummy Madada. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is she a patron? I would say maybe if her patronage includes lots of money. <laughs> like she's Lots just of like little violent. twink boys. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, the twink boys. That was. <laughs> I don't feel comfortable about that for some reason. It feels a little bit like she's going to break one of them and like snap the neck and just be like, "Oh well, that's just what happens to pretty boys around here." And I'm like, like it just. It was, and the walking naked naked in front of Jace was like so total power move. Like I'm bored with yeah. that, but it's just like you're not even going to get a towel. Like, you're, you're dripping everywhere. Yeah. Now she's from Noxus. They're built different. Yeah, clearly. Like, much wider shoulders, for one thing. <laughs> and, uh, Jace's awkward interactions with his girlfriend's mother. It's fantastic. Yeah, that would be pretty pretty awkward, honestly. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um. Now, I learned from you later that she's not actually part of the games. Um, that, that is correct. So far, I don't think you've got guessed a single person correctly. (laughs) No. Well, she got introduced like she was fucking Darth Vader arriving on the Death Star. Yeah, but you know that little twink boy? Actually one of the main characters of the game. 
wouldn't surprise me at this point. <laughs> at all. Like, the way he showed up and was all like, Miss Madada. And Honestly, there, there is someone who looks pretty close to him now that I think about it. Jesus. I just, I don't even know. I really can't tell anymore. Uh, there's just if someone's got a unique design, I'm like, yeah, they're probably in the game. But everyone's got a unique design. Which is 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 Manbat from the last episode in there? Like oh, he sh- he should be honestly. He should be. It's like he's he not even a card in the card game. Attention. He'd be a perfect card. Yeah. Oh my god! You just showed me the Twink Boy, and yes, I would have assumed that it's was pretty the same close. Guy. Yeah, it's pretty close. Yeah, it's just the abs. It's like that's all you really see from them. Yeah. Oh, enjoy that one on the Instagram, lady. Everyone. Uh <laughs> The so yeah, I would say that she is a patron, but she might be more like an undying patron, where she's just like this force of nature, yeah, or um super powerful wizard that's just like yeah, I can siphon off. I'm basically a god anyway. Sure, yeah. I just, I just realized my notes for her is just Vader arrival. She must be in the game and her pretty boy. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's all the notes I have on her. How would you, would you make her a villain or would you make her like a, not a necessarily a patron for, um, for warlocks, but a party patron, like the person who gives them the jobs? Um, you could, uh, it's tough. I mean, at this point it's, you're not really sure like what side she's on or kind no, of. No, there's one episode pretty, to go. Fucking hell. Yeah. It's also quite late sort of in the story to be introducing a new character and stuff. So this is definitely for me, I think like the hook for the next story arc or the next campaign or whatever. Yeah. It's like, this is what yeah. ties it into the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is like when you say, oh yeah. And your mother's going to be coming to town. So you have to kind of prepare everything suddenly while you're fighting the, the evil villain. And then they show up at the end and it's like, oh my God, to be con- continued. That's actually a really funny, like little quest. If, if the players have like a town or an establishment or something and it's like, oh, your mom's coming to visit. You need to clean up and, you know, shenanigans. I have actually done that with um, <laughs> my Bard campaign, which I might have mentioned uh, on the podcast before, our illustrious leader um, for Masters of Alchemy that I'm running for. Um, their character, I'm sure she won't mind me telling this, their character is very much about trying to impress their parents. Um, and the first adventure we had was their very first show and, um, their character's sister was told them basically, yeah, mum and dad are going to come and see the show. So it's all like, no, it's got to be perfect. It has to be perfect. And it turned out the sister was just lying through her teeth. She's just like, no, they don't even fucking know you're playing. (laughs) So there was this whole thing about how it has to be perfect and everything's got to go right. And it's just, no, no, don't even know about it. Oh, it was that beautiful little oh, um, give your give your players give your game master a blade to to poke your character with. Yeah, yeah, that's no, good, and it's oh. nice to have like when your players give you kind of those other motivations. Like, it's nice to have family that's alive in in yeah. game, um, yeah. not just the Batman. You know, everyone's dead, sort of thing. I tend to. I realize most of my characters tend to have like family that's completely dead. Partly because it means they have to go adventuring. Um, and partly because it's just like, well, I don't want to come up with more NPCs. <laughs> like, I've got yeah. this one. This took a while. I don't want to have to come up with more. That's that's tiring. Like, if I'd wanted that, I'd run a game. <laughs> no, I like the idea. Yeah. you. I mean, you can keep it small. 
and just have like a, you know a sibling or something like that or you could go i reckon it's really fun to do like a really big family because there's obviously a lot of cultures in the yeah. world that have these big families and but if you're like a goblin or something and you just got like a million brothers and sisters i think that's pretty yeah, that'd be that'd be great and looked at thousands of cousins as well so every time you come across a goblin you're like is it my cousin <laughs> uh, uh, yeah I, I did create one character. This is a play-by-post roleplay many, many, many years ago. And essentially it was that massive family. And he was the oldest child. Then there were about eight daughters and then another um, son. So it was kind of like they were the only two boys and all the women went into the business and the other two were just kind of shoved off of, yeah, we've got to do something with you, so just go out and adventure. Yeah. And yeah, I like that as well. Cause it was also like, so this one runs business and this one's a diplomat and this person's this. And he's like, yeah, I've got just connections fucking across the world. Like whoever I need to talk to, I can talk to. <laughs> Cause we're a powerful family. I don't know if you know this. Yeah. I guess that's the other, the other thing when you have players that kind of, they come in with like this elaborate backstory and it's like, oh, but you know, Surely I would ha- I would have this thing or I would know this thing and I've got these connections and it's yeah you got to be careful about like how you draw that line with especially with like the noble backgrounds and yeah I did think it very interesting when campaign two of Critical Role started and Jester had this mother that was mentioned a lot and seemed to be very wealthy um and was like she was asking her for gold and getting money sent to her and I was just. For the first few weeks, I was expecting the penny to drop and like discover, oh, they're actually broke or, you know, she's not going to be sent. She's going to cut her off because of all these, these ridiculous um, shenanigans she's doing where she bought horse clothes and stuff like that. And then when it came out that she's like, no, I'm going to indulge in her and whatever she wants. That actually felt more real to me than the other way. Like, having the fact that, like, the family's falling apart, that feels, like, contrived and fictional. Whereas, like, you know, you're just a rich kid. I'm going to give you whatever you want. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. So, uh, I think sometimes leaning into that, what the player wants, can be really fun. Um, I've had a couple of times where I run my my adventure where it's all about crime families in a city, and there's usually a noble background. And... They ask, hey, do I know these people? Like, because the the people they're encountering dress very well and they're talking fancily, stuff like that. And I have them roll a history check. And if they roll poorly, I'm like, well, you're really from the country, so you don't really, like, know the city folk. And if they roll highly, you're like, yeah, but they're not really your type of people. They're new money, if you get it. Yeah. So it's like rewarding the, the, char- the player for the character background, basically. Okay, so yeah. This is why they took it. them. Yeah. Speaking of family. Um, oh, I don't know whether to segue into Jinx and Vi from that or Jinx and Silco. Let's go to Silco. Okay. Does... Yeah, he just go straight to Fast and Furious. Yeah. <laughs> we should. Fair, We're just going to stop this. It's going to be a yeah. Fast and Furious uh, podcast from here on out. We're going to start with the one where they're just breaking into, into warehouses and stealing DVD players. Uh, that's all we're going to talk. This is going to assume, and then that's we'll the jump. Entire- we'll jump from there to like outer <laughs> space or whatever they do in the later. Yeah. Ones. Oh my god, that would be amazing! And then, yeah, if you could just show them, 
Like the two. The two I mean, that is that is a level one to twenty campaign. Like Fast and <laughs> right. Furious would be a pretty good series. I have seen an article saying that Fast and Furious is the best D and D campaign example ever. I mean, that would make sense with Vin Diesel as well. Like, yeah, I think that's honestly what he did. He couldn't get a he couldn't get Riddick off the ground for it. He couldn't get Last Witch Hunter. Uh, so he's like, "Fuck it, I'll make Fast and Furious." That's his. That's, campaign. That is just his D and D campaign, Fast and Furious. Yeah. That's let's make campaign, it. Yeah. Why not? Uh, so anyway, I, okay, we'll go with Silco. Does Silco actually care about Jinx? Yes. Like, does he see ne- you see? Next question. Okay, so he sees her as a daughter. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Because I would have thought that it's like, no, no, I'm just using this. She's a she's a pawn on my my battlefield. No, I think I think one of the things I like about Silco as this kind of like big bad is that he does have these moments of vulnerability. And it's not, yeah. it's not for show and stuff like that. You can definitely tell. Well, they they make it obviously, kind of what his motives are. Um, he doesn't, because he doesn't like really lie to people and like. No, obviously with powder, doesn't. with powder, you know, he kind of manipulated her, but he doesn't like straight up lots. kind of deceive. Yeah, he doesn't straight up deceive people, like you would expect that sort of character to do. Um, and I don't think there's many. Is there any kind of like lying or deception? Not a lot happens in the series overall, right? No, not a huge amount. Um, which like is there's, interesting. It's miscommunication, yeah. or not miscommunications, but there's like some people have knowledge that others don't, and that's kind of it. Yeah, there's a little bit of like withholding, but yeah, um, yeah I feel like lying is kind of an easy source of drama and stuff that all those yeah. you know CW shows default to. Well, I. Mm. I would disagree. I think the CD ch- CW shows default to withholding the information. It's like, I can't tell you because it would be too bad. It would, that would put you in danger. So I'm just not going to say anything or I'll lie for your protection. Uh, yeah, I guess it's, it's more like misunderstandings usually. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah it's like we could just have, we could just sit down and have a tra- chat and easily clear this up in like 30 seconds. But no, I'm going to get angry and walk no. off in a half. Yeah. How dare you don't understand my pain. I'm going to have to brood silently in my fortress of solitude as I, as I do anyway I think Silco's a pretty straight like, yeah I think yeah. I think Silco's a pretty straight guy um, and I think, I think that's um, yeah that's a very good point because when in the previous episode after she's discovered that that Vi's alive she like goes at him like she's got the the injector the shimmer injector for his eye and is yeah. like sitting on his chest about to stab him like you lied and like that idea that he's if he lies to her, then she'll fucking kill him. Like she'll just destroy him. Yeah. And he he's very clear. It's like no, I didn't lie. I didn't actually know. I'm as surprised as you are. And she believes that because, well, why wouldn't she? He's never lied to her. Yeah, and honestly, he did. He was like pretty. <laughs> he's, he's telling the truth there. You know, he didn't really know up until. Yeah very recently the truth is the most powerful thing i love having villains like that that actually care for each other and maybe you know it's a toxic horrible relationship but they do very much have that connection and protect each other or will will have that opportunity to fall out because i'm remembering in season three of buffy with the mayor and faith for you know what fuck it it's been 20 years uh yeah it's a spoiler that <laughs> faith goes evil and starts working for the bad guy 
But that's his weakness now, that he has this daughter who's like, well, this this companion who's like a child to him. And if she gets injured, he will snap and he will try to destroy it and he won't think clearly and he'll make mistakes. And that's a really great way of playing a villain as well, that you can play on that connection just as much as you're, you have the strength of that connection as the game master. Yeah, I think people, I think people and your players were probably expecting your villains to lie and kind of. Yeah, I think that'll throw them for a loop as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm rewatching Calamity, um, the the Critical Role one, and it's great yeah. because the Lord of the Hells never lies. Like, there's a moment where he says, "I I give you my word that I will never ever forget you," and it's like. Well, that's like, he's saying it like, oh, he did so much amazing things for me. And it's also like, but yeah, if he gets mad at you, he will never forget and he will destroy you. Like, never lie. That's yeah. the, isn't that, that's in Lucifer. We're going to really jumping around the CW shows at the moment. Lucifer, he, one of his things is that he does not lie. He is the devil and he refuses to lie because that's not what he is. Like, there's more power in the truth than in a lie. Yeah. Yeah, that's um You have gone all over the place, yeah. I have, I have. I don't know why we're all going over the place. Um mainly because there's not a much not a lot in this episode. Um like it's really just Well we see um, Yeah. This is um I have here this is the catching everyone up to speed episode. So this is like yeah. everyone everyone knows everything about everything. Which I, mm. I really like because now it's like, okay, everything's set up so we can do we can resolve it all, basically. Yeah, it's a good penultimate episode. Everyone meets, kind of- you know, meets all the other major characters and knows, you know, like Vi meeting all the Piltover people and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. How did you feel about that big council scene where she's um, she's the, the person arguing, no, we need to go down there, we need to wipe them out. Like, that's not usually the hero's argument anymore. It seems to- heroes seem to be saying, no, you're making a mistake going to war. It's like Vi being the one to say, no, you need to go and crush them entirely. How do you it's feel about that? Inter- well, it's interesting. How do you feel about Mel Madada? Like, do you think she's a good character? Like, good aligned? Or, like, what do you think her motives are? I think her motives are to basically show her mother that she her way is right. Because I think, like, well, but do you think that she's like a good person? Because I think this episode is like the Mel episode. Yeah, this episode is the Mel episode. I think she wants to be a good person. Okay, yeah. Because um, I remember like when she was first introduced, like I thought, obviously she's very manipulative and, you know, on the council and stuff like that. Um, but I think she's the one that's become like the good voice, the good conscience voice. In Jace's ear, you know, the little angel on his shoulder. Yeah. Well, see, I would have thought that Caitlin would have filled that role. But she and Jace haven't really had scenes together for a while. Yeah, Jace has gone through a lot of of conflict as well. And Caitlin's (laughs) kind of dropped off. (laughs) Caitlin's, or Jace has gone through a lot of confidants in the the course of the series. It's like, there was Heimdinger, and then there was uh, Caitlin, and then there was Victor, and then there was Melmadada, and now he's best friends with Vi. And like, fucking hell, Jace Manhor is what I'm going to call him. 
Chase just, just can't think for himself, is what it is. He, he just needs really someone can't. else to tell. <laughs> yeah. He's a very he's a good himbo. Yeah. That's uh that's, that's true. Just Chase um, take the shirt see, off and be pretty. We do see Heimerdinger in Zorn. There's a cute little yeah. scene. He's just adorable. I love him. He is cute. And I like that he's teaming up with Echo too. That's a nice little touch. It's a fun little combo, yeah. Yeah. Uh and Honestly, the the raid on the the Shimmer facility with um with Vi and Jace that was pretty awesome. Yeah, I would put that maybe my second favorite fight scene from the show. Ooh, is the last one still to come, or are we talking about the one on the bridge last episode? Oh, the the bridge one is my favorite one with the yeah, Echo. that's what I thought. Yeah, because yeah. that was pretty awesome. Um, now I want to talk about the the raid on the facility because that is pure, um. That's pure Blades in the Dark stuff. Like the way the way Blades in the Dark is structured is you just kind of jump into the action. Like you say, cool, we're gonna attack that that money that um caravan going through town. And basically the game master says, Great, you're all in position. Roll for luck. See how it's it's gone to start with. And that's how this starts. They all bust in and they're going through and then you just have to roll for luck and they rolled poorly. So that kid's able to hit the alarm. And now you're in a, a different position because of that. Yeah, but you're in a more a more exciting position, to yeah. be honest. It's definitely a more exciting position. In Blades in the Dark, you then could flash back and go, well, we actually untriggered the alarm, but you have to, or, you know, we cut the alarm early and you have to pay a price to do that. But yeah, I like that giving giving the players a way of succeeding quite early and they're just setting it up to the action. And then we get that whole fight sequence with the shimmer monsters. Are they monsters? They're just people, people in their suits, shimmer suits. There we go. In the shimmer suits. Yeah. They're like exosuits. Yeah. Yeah. I was super on board with the exosuits. I'm like, hell yeah. That's the kind of thing I want when my players bust into like a, into a villain's lair and they think everything's going well. And then you like, hear this and a door opens and there's like these weird sort of contraptions that are glowing and they suddenly just launch themselves across the room at you. So that's that's the kind of thing I want. And the scene is so good. Like everything, I keep forgetting just like how well made this show is, but like the design, the character designs, like the, all the color stuff, they got like the purple and the green. Um, yeah. against like the the blue of the Piltover, like it's just so good in the music and everything, the animation. Yeah, particularly when you then have Vi, uh, like kind of in the middle because she's got the blue gloves, but she's got the pink hair which stands out, and she's definitely that crossover between the pink of, or the 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 um the green and and purple of Zorn, and the yeah the fanciness of of Piltover. She's the the one that crosses that bridge. Oh, so many things about crossing the bridge. And oh my gosh, Caitlin and Vi, and they should have made out. And I'm very angry that they didn't. <laughs> That's actually the the next episode. That's the whole episode is just them making out. I don't think that's the the episode that. Yeah, I don't think that's actually on Netflix. It's just fan service. It's just a fan made show from it's here on out. It's just a whole out. episode of fan service. Yeah, that's just called porn. It, okay, it's just that and Jace working in the Forge shirtless. Like, <laughs> yeah. I believe it, honestly. I believe there was like a three-hour cut of that. Um, All right, so what I do liked... you think of Jace's weapon? Um, I kind of like it. 
honestly, uh, just a giant hammer. Like, yeah, a giant hammer that glows blue and shoots lasers. Yeah, I'm on board with it. I want it for one of my characters. What would you, yeah, what would you, how would you make that in D&D? Um, I'd take the mall stat block, like just make it a basic mall, give it some lightning damage and a couple of charges where it can shoot out like an Eldritch Blast or like a, a charge fireball or something once a day. Okay, sure, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe you pump a spell slot into it and it's able to do yeah. something. Okay, maybe it's like a... It could even be... Because I know one of my players is a paladin and they have this paladin-specific weapon. I'm trying to find it, yeah. Um, but it's got like Holy all this Adventure? cool stuff. It's like it, it's like when you... No, it's from the Griffin Saddlebag. I remember that much. Oh, I haven't got that yet. Wow, so um, But it's like whenever you, you know, activate your smite, you'll get like an extra effect through the weapon sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Jace is a paladin actually tracks for me. Yeah, and that just and that just reminds me of that for some reason. Yeah, yeah, it's only about the glowing weapon, I think, and the fact that it like transforms when he shoots a laser. I, li- I liked it. Uh, um, there it should is be a, more weapons like that. Yeah, well, like in League of Legends, he basically has like a melee form and a ranged form, so it also just mm. works as like a basic ranged weapon, essentially. Um, okay. Not just a big, big laser fireball. Yeah. I mean, I like that little pew, pew, pew from a, from a hammer as well. Do you yeah. feel that that makes it a little bit too steampunky sci-fi for a standard D&D game? Would you... I mean, you run a, a League of Legends-inspired game. Do you craft the weapons to make it feel like that? Or are they just the standard, this is a sword? Um, well, in the broader world of Runeterra, it's very different the different regions are very different aesthetically and thematically. So within the context of Piltover, like, yeah, it makes perfect sense, you know? So that's totally fine. I'm just wondering whether that's the style of fantasy gaming that people expect now, thanks to things like the Marvel Cinematic Universe having, like, technology. Like, Thor's Hammer is basically pretty much the same. Yeah, like... The end of Marvel was very much they were getting towards like technology just being magic, essentially, right? Like, yeah, yeah, and that's and kind of what that, this is as well. Is that not what Eberron is? Uh, like, is that not what Arcane is? Is that not what Forgotten Realms is sort of becoming as well? Like, you have nimble rites, which are basically automatons that are just wandering around and have have sentience and are trying to get. Like, you have it's slowly stopping becoming medieval and starting to hit the real renaissance industrial revolution of, of, of fantasy to me. Anyway, it feels like that from a lot of um, meta fiction around it. I was yeah, wondering what, I mean, you, you only consume arcane. So <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I don't think it's, I think it's, it's hard to kind of make that claim to be honest, because every table would be no, different. I think, yeah, I think the default kind of D and D game is just very messy thematically yeah. you know and people will just want to include different bits and pieces from different things and even if it's a, a joke item or something like that i think you'll cross those boundaries and not really not really just fit nicely in a box in terms of oh this is classic fantasy you know i think one of the problems with magic in D is it's always designed to well a lot of the time it's designed to deal with a problem that the game has created like the encumbrance rules go out the window once you get tenses floating disc. 
and the food rules go out of go out the window as soon as you get Goodberry. And yeah. I'm I think players, certainly modern players, start start to go well. I could just create a Goodberry factory, and now we've solved world hunger. And suddenly you're modernizing the world no matter what. Like that's just, it seems like players, if they're of a certain slant, and there seems to be a lot of them, want to solve all the problems. And if you give them a problem like encumbrance, they'll find a way to give it to everyone. Sure. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I'm on board with it. I I certainly enjoy the Discworld heavy modern uh, industrial revolution slant that the later books certainly became, uh, moving away from the the fantasy element of it, but still limiting. It's like, well, you're not going to have electricity, but you are going to have like semaphore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think selective technology is really interesting as well, where they only have certain things. Um, Yeah, I was looking at my steam library recently i was like okay i need to play through just like my old games that i've stocked up um just before you continue i do want to just because we were talking about technology as soon as you said steam library i thought you meant like a steampunk library that came (laughs) out of the wall on like cogs and gears and like imagine imagine what that would do to the books yeah that would be so bad for them but anyway yes you were seeing the steam library and you were seeing through all these Um, games yeah, yeah, so one game that's been there for ages that I, I wanted to try, I keep hearing good things about. It's called Outer Wilds. Oh, yeah, um, I've heard of this. And it's not it's not Outer Worlds, which is like the I know, kind it's of Bethesda-esque. One, yeah. yeah, that's like kind of the Bethesda-esque space RPG. Um, hmm. Outer Wilds is like a loop game, kind of Groundhog Day style. Yeah. Um, and you travel to different planets and stuff, but the aesthetic's really interesting because it's very like country like your spaceship is like made of wood but then there are these like Mm. crystals that like and stuff and it's it's very much that hybrid of like selective technology um and it's really cute and adorable but it's it's that same idea and that's really i think that's really fun and it is it's it's a really fun game too because you basically just start every single time like every loop you start on this little rock and you just have to get in the spaceship and you go you know out exploring and then at a certain point, yep, the universe explodes and you're sent back to the beginning. Yeah. But every time Spoilers. you can learn something more. Spoilers for like yeah. an hour of gameplay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were watching it for like three hours and it was just like, so wait, this happens every time? But <laughs> yeah. like, it's like, yeah, but now I know where the key is so I can get through this door faster. Yeah. Okay. I guess that works. But you still got to fly all the way over there. <laughs> all right. Uh, how do you actually, think this is? We're jumping yeah, do you think a, a, a time loop works in D anD? I think it does. I know Adventure Zone did one pretty well. Um, I think it can be fun for shenanigans as well, but it requires them not to be able to leave ever. Like they've got to be trapped in. It. Yep. Because I feel like it's certain. Like there's no real way for a, a player to get out of a time loop. In, um, how much do you have them kind of repeat stuff I guess is the other thing I think you don't repeat it once you get it right okay yeah I think that I, I think I like that like if you've got to convince the bartender that you're old friends or you you know them from the time loop already then you have them like say I know this about you I know this about you I know this about you in a role persuasion check 
And if they fail, they got to do it every time. If they succeed, then every time you just say, you do that again. Yeah. I think it's it's fun as well to give people a second chance at things as well. I think that's the other interesting yeah. dynamic of... Because that's usually one of the big appeals of D&D compared to, say, a traditional video game. Um, is that you only get the one shot and you have to live with the consequences. But then all of a sudden, hey, you don't. Because <laughs> it's a time loop. Yeah. I like time loops where it's so very clear that you're just getting your ass kicked every time. Like you've got to die at the end of the time loop, to my, in my mind. Yeah. Well, do you want to add, in that same vein, though, like as the flip side, do you want to add kind of like consequences for, you know, how do you add that, the stakes there if they, if they just have like an infinite amount of tries to try and get something right? Well, I don't think they have an infinite amount of tries. I'd say the time loop's expanding. Like, if they don't stop this, this is going to be everywhere forever. It's just going to be this one frozen moment. I think they did did that on the Stargate a couple of times. Okay. They were trapped in a time loop and basically they ended up losing like three months, but it was slowly expanding out from from the center. So how do you measure how do you measure that? Are you saying like for every for every failed every loop, loop yeah. you know, like another town falls under the spell? Yeah. Okay, and yeah. that gives you an infinite way of doing it, but it's also once you do finally break it, the rest of the world has suffered because of that. It reminds like, me of, um, I think it's Sekiro, uh, which is one of the Dark Souls type games um, set in feudal Japan. And you have, there's like an in-universe reason for like why you keep coming back every time you die. There's like special magic that mm-hmm. brings you back. Um, but at the same time, every time you get brought back, uh, this stuff called dragon rot spreads across like the village and people yeah. keep getting sick. So the, the, the more you play the game and the more times you die, all these NPCs you talk to, like you'll see more and more of them get progressively like sicker and worse because you keep yeah. dying. <laughs> I like that. Is, that's a fun one as well. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea. It's like, and they won't notice either. They'll just be like, it's always been like this. Yeah, yeah. They just like oh, the, the dragon li- rot's yeah. yeah, dragon rot's getting worse. Yeah, dragon rot's getting worse. I've been real sick lately. Yeah, I like that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Um, I feel like because we've jumped onto onto time loops, we're kind of over the episode. We've we've talked about everything that occurs. Um, there's not much left. We've talked about talk. a lot. The fight. I will point out one thing I really liked in that fight was um they had all these like this is a lot of these little the um yeah the the raid fight. The little like cutaway, sh- the little like slow motion shots where you see like the bones breaking, like Mortal Kombat style and stuff. I thought those were really great. Yeah, that was a nice touch yeah. to show the damage that they're actually doing. Because I think part of that was to point out these people that they're beating the shit out of are just victims. Like they did it much heavier with um with Jace killing that kid. Um, yeah, that that set the alarm off, and then showing that everyone working there is a child. It's like yeah. The people who have been injected with Shimmer to protect this place are just regular folk. Yeah. Like, they, they've driven, been driven angry by Shimmer, but they're still just regular people who are here, and you're just murdering them. The real villains with child labor laws. And you know Vi doesn't give a shit. 
Like, Jace is all like, oh, I killed children. And Vi's like, smack him down harder. Keep him down. Keep him down. Yeah. Um, Punch which they do, they do get into that next episode, as you might expect. Good. Spoilers. I love yeah. Vi. No, what are you talking about? They just make out whole episode. That's just like the entire episode. Oh, yeah. Well, they do it while they're making out. Yeah. Uh, all right. So there's one thing left to do in the episode. Um, since since you mentioned the last thing you liked, and that's pick a character from the episode we just watched for the Crit Hit and Crit Fail Award. Um, and I like, I'm going to go with mine because I have we didn't actually mention this at all during the podcast, um, but there's the scene when Vi and and um, and Caitlin sneak into her house, into into Caitlin's house uh, to patch oh, yeah. patch each other up. And yes, that's not a euphemism. Um, and Caitlin's mother just smashes open the door with the rifle. Uh, and it's just like, freeze, intruders! And then realizes what's going on. I'm giving her the crit hit award. Because smacking down doors when you're not a warrior class, that's pretty fucking badass. That's a oh, natural yeah. 20, in my opinion. And all she did was just interrupt her, her daughter and girlfriend. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's a bit awkward. But that's that's my crit hit award. For um for the week, uh, Afif, who have you picked? I think Jace hit a crit fail on that laser beam blast shot where he hit the kid. Um, I was that's... I will say I was a little confused by that. Did the was the kid standing behind the shimmer guy or was the kid the shimmer guy? And he just uh, I think he realize. was I think he was just there. I don't think he was the guy. Okay, so he just got caught. I think in it was blast. yeah. I think it was like friendly fire. Yeah. Friendly fire. Look, all right. That kid chose unfriendly his side. fire. Yeah, that was the same kid that set the alarm off. He knew what he was getting into when he hit that button. Yeah, but if you go to like a dragon's den and you're trying to kill a dragon, like you're not trying to kill the kobolds, right? They're just working. Yes, you are. They're just trying to earn a living. You know, <laughs> if they're trying to kill you, then yeah, that's that's okay. That kid has student debts to pay off. Like, not anymore. He doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know what? Maybe uh, Jace did him a favor. Yeah. Yeah, maybe Jace did. Maybe like he was never going to take that kid up to Piltover and be like, look, enter the academy. I'm a counselor. He's like, no, you were there to murder everyone, Jace. God damn it! Like, have some. I forget. He's a pretty boy. He doesn't have brains. It's it's okay. It's okay. Jace. Another. Just, we've just had a lot of random. Happen sidebar discussions we have but we have speaking of speaking of murder i recently watched uh blue beetle which is a oh, very yeah. like family yes. family focused yes. <laughs> yeah superhero movie and he makes it very clear that he doesn't want to kill the bad guys and then all his family just like absolutely murders all of the bad guys every chance they get like yeah they have everyone no else- compunctions yeah, every other quote unquote good guy has like zero moral or ethical dilemma with that. So I was willing to, like, when his grandmother pulls out like the Gatling gun and just mows down like tons of guys, I'm like, yeah, cool. She's a revolutionary. Of course she was going to do that. When his uncle uses the, the bug crawler to skewer someone, it's like, oh, he stepped oh, yeah. on someone. Low. That's, I'm like, that's very. No. He's got like, because it's a sharp foot. It's not just like a flat, like, oh, he just kind of crushed him a little. Like, it's not. Yeah. He fully stabbed him. Yeah. It like waves him around. It's like, oh my god! Oh. They didn't even do like robots, right? They were they were full people. Those are real human yeah. beings. Yeah, yeah. I will point out his mother and sister don't kill anyone. That's true. That we see, like every everyone who gets there's there's a pretty good theory that the DC universe they're just tougher because of all like the weird metahuman stuff in the water. 
So you can <laughs> knock someone across a room and they'll stand back up later on. That's just what regular people are able to do in this universe. That's just that's why sure, Batman doesn't yeah. actually like put everyone into the hospital when he beats the shit out of them. Like it's just people are tougher in this world. Uh, yeah, but it's still. Uh, that being said, I did really like Blue Beetle. Um, just it was fun. It I, was just I enjoyed fun. Blue Beetle. It's nice to have a fun DC movie, you know. Yeah, for once, and not, of course, not take Reyes too my, seriously. Oh, Jaime yeah. Reyes is my favorite Blue Beetle in in forever. Like, I'm and I love so that, that. Um, yeah. I love that actor for him as well. He was great yeah, in was Cobra great. Kai. Yeah. Yeah. And since I won't get to, you know what? I'm going to squeeze off air later about, um, about Jenny Cord. So, um, that'll, that'll be later. So sure. that is it for our episode. We, um, are D and D and TV. Uh, you can find us wherever good podcasts are found. And we'd really appreciate it if you left a review or rating, uh, and we can read some ratings out. What was the, the one I had before? It was, um, this is bad and you should feel bad. No, that's not true. <laughs> Wait, we read out good ones. Oh, the, the one about the League of Legends Oh, game. yes, that's like, right. Yeah, the League of Legends review. That's all right. I'll find it later. Um, uh, everything about this will ruin your life, and it is poorly made. Yeah, if I could put that as a, a pull quote to put on the front of the podcast, I would love it. That would be amazing. Uh, so if you review that with five stars, don't worry, I won't feel bad. And uh, so you can do that wherever podcasts are found, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the other places. You can also find us on Instagram, which is at dndntvpod. Uh, you can send emails, and that'd be great because in two weeks we are going to have the wrap-up episode where we answer questions from fans about the fans of the podcast or fans of the show um, about Arcane and ways of using it in RPGs. Uh, the email address is dndntvpod at gmail.com. A thief uh, doesn't plug anything because he refuses to go online outside of these these podcast episodes. I don't plug anything. Episode. When I take a bath, I use so much water. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> you just have to pour it all in and just like keep filling it just up. Just keeps going. Yeah, it just keeps going. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, we are brought to you by Masters of Alchemy, the premier game mastering service of Melbourne, where you can find us at um, Fortress Emporium every Sunday running Dungeons and Flagons. You can also find us at PAX Australia this year. There will be the Masters of Alchemy booth, uh, and there will also be a panel on the Friday um, where we're going to be talking about one shots Friday, 10.30 a.m., I believe it is. Um, don't quote me on that. Just check the, the PAX schedule if you're going. Uh, I think I've covered everything. That seems like um, what, what everything I need to talk about. Uh, so until next time, stay safe. Thank you for listening. Be kind to yourselves. May all your hits be crits. And Hextech, Hextech, check it out. What the fuck? Why did you come up with this one for you? This one is tough for me to say. Oh, we forgot to talk about Victor. That's fine. We'll bring it up next yeah. time. I, I don't care about Victor. He ran. We don't talk about Victor. Victor. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. Always was, always will be. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging.